clinical disclaimer. This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. Welcome back to Sex Therapist Shoot the Shit. I am Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist, and I am so excited to be shooting the shit with Laura Rademacher, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified sex therapist. Just two sex therapists shooting the shit. <laughs> so this is our second episode. We made it. We made it. I'm really, we made it so <laughs> made far. It to <laughs> We'll see. We'll see how this yeah. goes. This right. might be the last one. Oh, I hope not. No, I hope not, too. We'll see how it goes. And welcome back to the University of Pleasure Presents Sex Therapist Shoot the Shit with me, Dr. Tara Jansen, and the lovely Laura Rademacher, right here. Excellent. Well, yeah. How's it going? It's going okay. <laughs> You know, my first impulse was to talk about the weather, and I'm, like, fighting it, but it's February oh. in Minnesota, and it's just, like, you kind of just feel like you always have to talk about it. It's, I feel like it also, in mental health, it's hard not to talk about the weather because of the impact on mood. Yes. So, I don't know how many sessions you end up, like, it's, like, you talk about the weather, but then, like, you really talk about the weather yeah. <laughs> in, like, this, like, super, yes. like, deep, yes. meaningful way. Like, let's talk about... But now let's really talk about how the oh, weather and you absolutely. have a relationship. I have had so many conversations recently about, well, the temperature's hard, but hey, we're getting more sunlight. I hear by the end of February, we're going to even get more sunlight. I've had conversations about sunlight on snow and how snow is not so hard when there is sunlight on it. <laughs> but when it is dark all the time and there's snow, that that's miserable. But maybe it's miserable if it's dark with no snow. I mean... Depths, depths that you <laughs> depths would never pe- imagine. Just the most in-depth weather conversations yeah, you could possibly but have. it's real. I mean, it really, it, it affects all of us. Which is weird because you wouldn't think that sex therapists would be talking, have in-depth conversations about the weather. But weather impacts mood, which yes. absolutely impacts sex drive and yes. sexual behaviors and all sorts of stuff. So it really, full circle people, comes yes. back. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I... I end up talking about all kinds of things with the people that I'm working with. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's sex therapy. We talk about sex, but sex doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's connected to all the other mm-hmm. things in your life. So I end up talking about work stress, potty training. Um, well, potty training is always super sexy. Yeah, it's, it's a real, really, it's real like a eroticism really builder. kicks things into gear for really <laughs> tired people who are already trying to raise a kid. Yeah, it mm. goes well. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, one of the things I know we've talked about on the University of Pleasures podcast, um, a lot of times like this idea that like you're a whole person, right? So mm-hmm. like that idea that like sex doesn't exist in the vacuum is sort of like, something we talk about a lot like you're a whole person so your sexuality doesn't exist outside of that so yeah I end up talking about a lot of random stuff with people speaking of sex therapists talking about random stuff we do have an exciting announcement Jeremiah will be so impressed with me that I'm making an announcement because I normally (laughs) give you shit you let him make the announcements no I normally give him shit on on our other podcast about uh making announcements about announcements before they're (laughs) 
that's true. You right. do before do that. they're yeah. like real. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is an actual one. I think it's real. Yeah. I think for episode th- three, should we make it to episode I, three? Which yes. I think we will. I think we will. Um, if we haven't lost everyone by talking about the weather. Yeah. Um, we're going to be having another sex therapist joining us. A guest. Yes. A surprise guest. <laughs> Might be a surprise to us, too. Yeah. We think so we, we know. We think we know who it but is. But someone's going to be here. Yes. Hopefully another sex therapist. That's right. So I hope we don't have to, like, bring in a ringer. <laughs> it's just, like, a random person. <laughs> that would be horrible. Can you imagine we get busted for, like, bringing in a fake sex therapist? Yeah. We wouldn't do that anyway. We wouldn't. No. No. Both, both you and I now have our like serious ethical. Yeah, we're both like, wait a second, wait, we would, I would not, never, we would not do that. <laughs> well, so you said when we sat down, Laura, that you had some actually things you wanted to shoot the shit about. I have some topics. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Okay, I have been listening to a really great podcast. It is called Operator. Have you heard about this mm-hmm. at all? It is about the phone sex industry. Oh, and it is yeah. fascinating. Have you ever wondered about phone sex? I mean. I think probably most of us have some basis of like, there were numbers, there probably still are numbers that you can call Mm -hmm. and have a sexy talk with somebody, pay a lot of money by the minute, right? But like, have you ever like wondered like what it was like or what did people talk about or? I mean, I think I wondered more about it while watching a lot of movies in the 80s and 90s. I think I wondered (laughs) more, you know, like Uh via like sort of in passing but it has been a long time since I've like clinically had anybody come in that's like using those lines a lot just because like now like people can do more texting yeah well and also it's easier to have casual sex yep because of you know tinder and grinder and all the websites that right. allow that well and it's easier to define a cam girl or a cam oh person, yeah camming yeah, you know absolutely. like yeah so if you're looking for you know, I think one of the appeals about phone sex was you didn't have to find a partner. You didn't have to find someone who is into the same thing you did. You were paying someone. It's a form of sex work, right? Yeah. And so there's that still exists, obviously. It's just like different formats. People don't really use the 1-800, yeah. 1-900 numbers anymore. But one of the things that I always thought about is like with phone sex, like you get to like with camming right like to a certain degree obviously like you're paying and engaging in a fantasy Mm -hmm. you know but like you're still seeing that person and with phone sex I guess maybe one of the limitations but also benefits of it is like you really get to have some level of imagination now sometimes they had pictures that went with the numbers but sometimes not and who knows if that picture was actually connected to the person you were talking to or I mean Mm -hmm. who knows right and so you really got to make it probably whatever sort of scenario in your head that you wanted to attach to it sure it kind of reminds me of you know everybody talks about oh the days of AOL when you know anybody would get on and sexy chat with anybody and who knew who knows you know you the good old wild west of anonymous (laughs) sex (laughs) I love that AOL is like the glory days (laughs) I feel like that's I feel like that's what what always comes up when I have this conversation with people is people like oh AOL I don't know Maybe it was just because it was first. Probably, right? Yeah. Like nostalgia associated with that. But so in this, it was, a, was it like a doc? It's a podcast. Yeah, it's a series. Yeah. It's like a, I think there's like eight episodes maybe. So is it with people that used to like it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in the person who um, hosts it and, and I think like is the writer, editor person is a porn performer. Oh. So it's kind of um, 
from inside. It's it's a look from inside that community, mm-hmm. right? It's not like an outside look in, which I always appreciate. Yeah. Yep. And um, yeah, they talk with people who worked on the phones. They talk with the managers. They talk with the owners of the company. They follow one company through their whole business career is what I want to say. That's not what it is. Trajectory. <laughs> I don't know. Through yeah. the lifetime of the business, right? Right. Um, and they kind of talk to everybody involved in that business. And it was fascinating. Yeah. Like, what are the things that like, were there things that like surprised you or shocked you? I don't really feel like I was surprised or shocked. I was not surprised or shocked that, of course, the phone sex operators were making significantly less money than anybody else who was involved. And like, even like... No, that's not surprising. No, not, of course There's not. like zero surprise with that. And there's this wonderful, um, I think of her as like one of the heroes of the podcast, the one of the people who managed all the workers. And, um, you know things didn't end up going real well for her either you know like she put in a ton of work and I don't want to do too many spoilers but you know like you just see where the power is Mm -hmm. distributed in that Um, but at the same time you think about okay it's a lot of people wanting to make some money and phone sex has got to be one of like the safest ways to do that right yeah I always like what oh my god what movie is it there's a scene Oh, good Lord, I'm not going to remember. It's just going to take, like, the majority of our time for me to try to figure it out. And I am also horrible at movies, so I will be... <gasps> I'm not. I'm pretty good at music trivia, so this is, like... Music trivia? Not movie? Well, I'm great at... I- <laughs> I'm so good at movie trivia that I've put it in a whole different category. Amazing. I'm pretty good at movie trivia and music trivia, but... I can see the scene, and I cannot remember the movie, which will drive me nuts, but I'm going to try to... What was the essence of the scene? Why was it... It was, like, (laughs) the scene was, like, this woman, like, answering a, 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 like, it was on a, you know, a phone call, right? Like, a sex phone operator. What is it called? What's the name? The technical phone Phone sex sex operator? Yeah, Yeah, sure. So, like, a phone sex operator, and she's, like, at her kitchen table, like, doing... Do you remember, like, Cat's Cradle? Yes. Right? With the string? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's, like... She's this, like, older woman just sort of playing, but when she answers the phone, she's like, has this really husky voice. And the person on the other end is, like, just trying to get some, like, company and ask some questions because, like, the number... The number that was associated with the woman on the screen that he called was not this woman, right? Uh The the operator. And, like, he's, he's just, like, looking to just, like, talk to another human, and she keeps trying to push, like, like assuming like sexual intent (laughs) when in reality kind of what he wants is therapy that was incredibly boring but it was a movie you know what though (laughs) i mean i don't want to give too many spoilers about this but one of the things they pointed out was that before they started a phone sex operation they started a phone therapy operation (gasps) thinking oh people will love the privacy people will call in for therapy and they had a male therapist and everyone kept calling and wanting sex and so they transitioned <laughs> into phone sex, which it just made me think about a lot of, um, you know, what has happened with all the telehealth and video therapy mm-hmm. and how that has been really wonderful p- for people in a lot of ways as far as having more privacy, not having to go to somebody's office. If you have mobility issues or you can't travel, it's easier to get in. So, like, there was something about their idea that was right, mm-hmm. but also... 
at that time, for whatever reason, people were like, no, I want to call this line hoping to talk sexy to somebody. What's really interesting to me is that it was the, I'm presuming cis male mm-hmm. operator, that that was the person that was sort of cued as the person that everyone wanted to talk about sex with. Well, I think they they kind of hung up when it wasn't a woman. Oh, yeah, right? I see. And so then the, the therapist that they had employed eventually told the people who were running the company, like, I don't know if this is going to work. Nobody wants to talk with me. They all thought they were going to call and talk to a woman and they uh. want to talk sexy, which in, which in another way was like, oh, well, that's not great boundaries. <laughs> you know, you see a number for a therapist and you're like, it's a woman and I'm going to talk sexy to her. It's like, no, that's not. But well, that's we- a totally separate question I have for you. There have been like a number of sex therapists, no, therapists I've known and I, myself where I've gotten those types of calls for people not looking for therapy Mm -hmm, and -hmm. actually wanting to engage. And I don't know if it's they're thinking that it's like a phone sex operator kind of deal. I mean, it's on a professional website. Yeah, that's part of a clinic, so it seems pretty <laughs> obvious to me. But do you have you heard about this too? As oh, well? it's happened to me for yeah. sure. Yeah, it hasn't happened in a long time. I don't know if I've like changed the way I've been advertising. I put in a lot of my advertising talk therapy only, and I think that I mean that wouldn't stop someone who wants to talk dirty, but like. I think that stopped the people who thought maybe I was like a secret sex worker advertising. You know, yeah. do you remember like, I don't know, college or something where people would be like, if you go into this head shop and you ask them for the green <laughs> incense, they're going to give you weed. I, like, I think people think that there's like mm-hmm. a code of like, well, if I call someone who's a sex therapist and maybe if I say the right things... They'll let me in the back room or something. Like, there's yeah. some secret. And it's not like that, Well, this obviously. because, like, so this, like, what we talked about, if you haven't listened to the first episode. Right. One of the things we talked about in the first episode is a lot of people have no idea what a sex therapist actually does. Right. Like, does. So it's also a profession that's sort of ripe with, like, oh, this person likes to talk about sex. And so I can see, I feel yeah. like it's happened to myself and many more of, like, kind of my sex therapist, like, professional friends or just uh, colleagues yep. than it has to general therapists. Oh, yes. Like, way more. So there's clearly something about, like, it that feels, yeah, like maybe there's an invitation there in some yes. kind of way. And I also think part of it must be, like, the lack of sort of understanding around what it is we actually do. I think that's so true. And you know what I get more often than that, which is what makes me hopeful, is that um, people who are coming in genuinely wanting therapy and going... I don't know what I can say to you. Yeah. If I cross a line, please tell me I'm not trying to, you know, and they're trying to figure out how to talk about sex with you, but they don't know how to do that in a non-sexual way or they're not sure what words Mm -hmm. they can use or, you know, I mean, people don't have much context for what we do in life. Well, I think that's great that you bring that up because I think that has happened many more times to me than someone assuming that I'm a phone sex operator. (laughs) Which is people like not necessarily, and I'm both you and I are like counselors as well outside of, you know, anybody that's a sex therapist, like a, a, you know, certified sex therapist has to be a clinical counselor yeah you have to be licensed in a branch of mental health and have like generalist training right right? so yeah and I say that because that's I think that's just an important understanding so a lot of times people also come in not knowing that they can talk about anything like other stuff right like so interestingly I have and maybe this happens to people are being like 
can I also talk about like my work stress here? Yeah. Like worried that they can only talk about sex. And it's, and so it is like, it's our, it's sort of like an opposite problem, but I yes. do agree with you. Usually it's just that people want to keep good boundaries yeah. around, you know, and they don't have practice talking about sex with people. Yeah. So it's like when I'm, I've had a lot of clients go, let me know if I'm getting creepy. And I'm like, right. You let me know if I'm getting right. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> Let's keep talking about this. Let's let's keep making sure we're on the right side of all the lines. And yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, With this, so with this podcast that you were listening to, like, how did this, like, you know, you talked about them having this kind of like evolution of a business. Like, do they talk about the ending of it? Yes. Yeah. So why... I'm I'm making my assumptions, but do they talk about why it ended? They do, but I'm not going to tell everybody. I think people need to go listen to the series. But yes, it had rather a dramatic ending. Mm. And so, um, yeah, you should listen to it to find out what happened. So the the ending, though, is dramatic for this particular company. I would would imagine that some factors that impacted the ending of, not the ending, but the reduced reduced uh, money going into phone sex operators. Well, it was the internet, yeah, right? Like everything shifted. The internet happened and suddenly people had AOL. And like you said, they had more access to chatting with people. And, and they, forums. And, and forums and meeting people if and they, they wanted to. And they were free. Or just, yes, exactly. <laughs> free. And then with technology and like video cameras and camming on the internet and... Um, easily recording movies and being able to like upload them yourself, that changed the whole structure of porn too, Mm. right? So when we think about like porn as like used to be a couple of different studios that really... um, uh, Vivid? Well, I don't know. Was this before? I may be thinking before Vivid. I'm thinking Mm. like the 70s, right? Oh, yeah. I don't know. what Vivid, I associate more the 90s. Yeah, right, right. But I think of Vivid as even, um, you know. When did Vivid? Now I've got to look. I know, right. And now I'm thinking to myself, I can't remember exactly what Vivid did. But let me talk in general. In general, there was a shift of like the 70s. For a while, oh, my gosh, I have a friend who is an actress around that time and she told me look everybody was ready to do porn like we thought that's the way it was going we thought mainstream film and porn were gonna like merge and kind of become this one thing so everybody was just like ready to do it and then it kind of turned again and porn and film separated out and um then as technology changed and people could easily and on less of a budget without a whole film studio behind them make their own movies and maybe put them on the internet what that has meant is that a lot of independent people have been able to do this for good and for bad right Mm -hmm. so like when we think about the bad we might be thinking revenge porn Yeah, yeah you know horrible anybody can upload pictures or videos up to a lot of places uh non consensually and it's really tough to get that taken down so that's horrible but on the flip side um communities that were more traditionally marginalized like queer communities Mm -hmm. or you know women producers of porn um are able to kind of run their own businesses without having to try to fit into this mainstream example that was really run by like cis het white dudes yeah 
Well, and it also meant like you, like when you think about like today's sort of concept of like ethical pornography, right, where there's Mm -hmm. like fair pay or like Mm -hmm. better circumstances, like that's part of what's allowed for that, right, is like creating a more equal distribution, which is still, I'm not saying like totally like fixed. It's all fixed. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Everything's fixed. No problems. Everything's fixed. We're doing great as a society in general. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to say that with any remote. I know, <laughs> I know. But look, but, let's talk about the positives, yes. right? And let's work to figure out how to mm-hmm. make sure the negatives don't continue to harm people. Right. So that is like movement in the direction, right? Like, so you talk about like ethical pornography, and so for people that are listening, mm. right? Like a lot of people don't know what ethical pornography is. Mm-hmm. I'll let you. I mean, I can talk about it too, but I've talked about it before. And well, I think you just started a great conversation about that. Like you named some of the things that I would consider when I would be thinking to myself, okay, how ethical is this, right? I'd be going, okay, did people get paid? Did people get paid a living wage? Um, You know, obviously, like, how is consent handled? Age, are they of age of consent? Right, of course, which let's just, let's just say everything we've been talking about is a, is about legal pornography of, we're not talking about child pornography, Mm -hmm. which is never legal and is awful, right? So let's just make that distinction. Right. But when I'm talking with people about pornography use and and how do they feel about it and how do they make their decisions, some of the things I encourage them to think about are, you know, are you paying for it? Mm-hmm. You know, are you reimbursing someone for it? I sometimes people are like, well, I don't pay for it. So that's fine because I'm not giving my money to anywhere bad. And it's like, OK, but you're also not giving anyone any money and someone's done some work here that Mm -hmm. you're benefiting from right so like maybe think about that and think about where to put your money um i think about you know do you can you tell how the performers are treated do you know anything about the company who made the video do you know about their standards at all what what kinds of things do you think about are you asking me? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were, I didn't know if you were doing I was, a role I was like, are we doing a role client? play? Are yeah. we doing a role play? <laughs> no, um, I'm like, well. Uh, <laughs> side note, Vivid Entertainment was established in 1984. Wow. By Stephen Hirsch in wow. Los Angeles, California. And I'm not going to dig any, that's what Wikipedia that's, says, which is not always super That's accurate. earlier than I was. I did too. I thought mm-hmm. it was like the 90s. 90s. I well, thought, maybe it took him a while to get big. Yeah. Well, or yeah, it would be interesting to look, watch some of those first Vivid videos. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, when I think about ethical porn, like I, I really think about like yes, this idea of like I think about consent, I think about fair wage, fair pay. I think about like yeah, do you just like anything else? Like if you're gonna buy something, like do you know where the product that you're consuming? Like do you know where it comes from? Like people love Whole Foods, why? Because well, they feel <laughs> Whole Foods has its own. <laughs> sorry, don't don't come after me, Whole Foods. Right, but there's like some debate around some of that. But like, why do people like to buy organic? Why do sure. people like to? Because they know where something is coming from. And similarly, right in pornography, you might want to, especially if you're having a lot of your own ethical dilemmas about your use of it. Like, let's say you feel really conflicted because you. Um, you know, feel kind of guilty, worried that someone's being disempowered or disenfranchised or, you know, um, forced into some kind of scenario, it's good to know where your product's coming from because then you can watch porn with a little more peace of mind, right? So it, like, also can really free someone up to have a, if they're struggling with that, to have a better experience of the 
sexual stimulus that they're using, right? So sexually stimulating material that they're using. And when I think of ethical porn too, like I think what people don't realize is there's this whole beautiful world online of people that have gone out of their way to say, here is the product. And yeah, you have to pay for this product, but you're going to know everyone's over the age of 18. You're going to know that, let's say there's certain fantasies you like. Let's be real. Some people really like like to fantasize about something like forced sex, right? Which is an uncomfortable thing to talk about, but it's a very popular theme of pornography. But knowing that the forced sex you're seeing is definitely a role play that people have consented to might make you feel a little better about fantasizing about that and watching it than being like is the acting really good in this video or is it or is this a video in which is just like somebody role-playing with someone else and they're doing a really good job so like these ethical sites so they they talk to you about their product how they've made their product a lot of them are like very femme centered right so yes. femme identified people or people on the feminine spectrum that there side note if anyone's interested in a book there's what's it, it's like that book called the big book of feminist porn yeah i was just reading parts of that and i was uh yeah so that one's by tristan termino i think yeah, i think it's edited by tristan termino with a bunch Lots of different, different authors stories. each yeah. chapter is by someone else and then another great one is coming out like a porn star by jiz lee oh yeah jiz lee is an, another one where each chapter is by someone else so it would be a great thing where like you could read a chapter by someone talking about why they've chosen to do porn what they want to do with it and then you could go watch something that they make and feel like, okay, I feel pretty good about like where they're coming from. They sounded really empowered in that chapter they wrote. You know, I, I can feel good about mm-hmm. watching this. Yeah. And and I and I so many people don't even know that that exists. Just yes. as long as we're like promoing podcasts, I was on, um, we did a brief little thing for another podcast that's called uh, How Cool Is This? Where you like, you call in with like an idea and they did a university of pleasure sort of package where we did like five ideas. And one of the ideas that I did for them was, and so maybe someone else has had this and I'm, I'm stealing it, I'm sorry, but that's, <laughs> I, don't, I'm, I'm, I looked it up and I haven't seen anything, is like one of my ideas was like, wouldn't it be cool? And someone's going to do this and make billions of dollars. <laughs> But wouldn't it be cool, I just don't have the tech know-how, to create a sort of Netflix for ethical porn, Yeah. right? Where it's it's sort of curating for you from other ethical sites. Because part of the reason the main complaints that I get from people around ethical sites is like, but I like a really big variety, right? Sure. And I don't want to have to have a bunch of separate subscriptions, you know? Sure. Because some people are really varied and mm-hmm. what turns them on and what they like. And I was like, man, that would be so cool because also yeah. if someone's curating that you could have more control around like sort of the what is it called in in libraries right when you're coding you know you use the like when you're coding certain terms like the taxonomy essentially oh yeah like search words yeah right so Mm -hmm. like how you're ascribing things because if people haven't ever noticed this when you're looking at like porn is sometimes you're looking up something very specific but all of a sudden Things are labeled that that are way outside what you're looking for and are like maybe very uncomfortable or like illegal Mm. and all of a sudden it's on your screen and you're feeling because that's part of the way that like you essentially like people code videos to get more hits to get more watches good i know i've really gotten off topic here we were talking about something no i think this is great and i think people are gonna be interested in this because it's not always easy to find this kind of information and some people are just nervous about typing things into google even you know so even if you want to research 
typing ethical porn into Google might mm-hmm. be like, do I, uh, do I want to do that? I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just like, <laughs> I realize we got here from talking about phone sex operators. But, like... <laughs> but it's all connected, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's all under the umbrella of making fantasy and consuming fantasy. And how do we do that ethically? And how do we treat people well um, mm-hmm. instead of, you know, I don't know, making horrible uh, assumptions and, and degrading sex workers? Yeah. Well, and I would imagine that some of those were there, are there on this podcast? Like, I just now I'm going to listen to the podcast, but like, are there, like, we're just doing a great job, like, promoing. I know, I know. <laughs> but it is, listen. it's fascinating. You should all listen to this podcast. Well, but like, to. one of the things that I would wonder, and we'll take a break here in a minute, but like, with, with like phone sex operators in particular, like, did they, did that, do any of them talk about like, because a lot of like people in sex work will talk about like, moments in which maybe like boundaries were crossed or like do you know what I mean like that's a yes. really common experience yes. like do they because yeah. there, you just you said like earlier like there is more protection maybe in that but I yes. am curious about yeah. like when it went awry for people what they noticed yeah there was one episode where they kind of um do a reenactment of a day as a phone sex operator so you you kind of listen as if you are like listening in on the phone lines and then like between calls the person who's playing the operator is talking about her life a little bit. Um, and that episode is definitely the most explicit episode of the whole series. <laughs> Not everybody's going to be into that episode, but some people are going to be really into that episode. Mm-hmm. And um, it does explore what if things get creepy? What do you do? Because unfortunately, it seems like everything can always get creepy. Yeah, I mean, you can always push on a boundary. It really mm-hmm. doesn't matter, like, probably. Well, frankly, you can. it doesn't have to even be about sex, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's always possible. Like, if you really are on a mission to, like, not pay attention to somebody else and, like, how they're responding to yep. you and yes. getting your needs met without any, like, I'm sure it's always possible to make somebody uncomfortable. I would be really yes. interested, like, to think about, like, because I know I've worked with people that have, like, and just am aware of people that have done, like, camming work, you know, and even though there's a whole screen there and a separation and you can shut the thing at any time, I don't know how many times I've had conversations about, like, that went further than I wanted it to, and I don't really understand how that happened. Mm Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you've had similar Mm -hmm. dialogues Are you saying that, like, a a person who might be camming might have that feeling of, Mm -hmm. like, oh, I went further than I wanted to? Yeah, like, as the person doing the sex work, I felt like I you know like camming felt like a safer sort of thing and I've had lots of folks that talk about really successful great experiences camming but like a thing that can occur is someone still being like I realized someone was able to cross my boundaries even when there was literally cities yeah between us and so I would imagine the same would also like where people kind of are going with the flow or you feel obligated Mm -hmm. because someone's paying you or because you're just it's so easy to all of a sudden look up and go, oh, shit, I'm in a situation Absolutely. I wasn't prepared to be in. Well, I, I think that that happens, too, in in non-sex work yeah. exchanges. You know, like I talk so much with people about a lot of times the way you find your boundary is by inching right past it and then going, oh, this doesn't feel great. And then it's like, okay, well, you found your boundary. How do you go back mm-hmm. to what felt better, right? Yeah. But, yeah, they do talk about um, safety as far as the operators go. And yeah, I think that any they talk about like the security of the buildings that people worked in and like could people figure out where the operators 
are because what if they just want to come say hi right which i'm sure oh yeah yeah I nobody I'm sure wants that so right. yeah so like the an like how do you also protect anonymity in right. some kind of way and yeah right. i guess you know there's all sorts of lengths people will go to if they don't want to respect that. Right. I mean, that sounds like a super interesting podcast. It was really great. Um, I think it. I think Tina Horn is the person who um, is narrating and editing and producing. I should have looked before we started talking about this to see what Tina's actual title is. But Tina was great, amazing, amazing podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, I think speaking after, since we've like just done a, you know, a whole promo, a 20 minute commercial for another podcast, <laughs> um, we will take a break and be right back. And we are back on Sex Therapist Shoot the Shit. You had another topic. You're doing all the heavy lifting today, Laura. I know. It's your turn next time. <laughs> oh, God. It's, all right. <laughs> no, it's our guest's turn next time. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll have a guest, and then we can, like, really equally distribute all of the pressure. I know. You know what? I know we're going to make it to episode three. I didn't mean to make it sound iffy, but I felt like maybe we were doing some kind of, like, reality TV show, like, will there be a... <laughs> I don't know what jumped into my mind at that moment. I was like, ooh, it'll be exciting to you see. You and I have known each other for how long? I know. When I, I feel like if there was going to be a really dramatic fight, I think it probably would have happened already. I think that's Like, really this is true. the thing. It's like, I can't believe you brought up phone sex operators. We're done. Well, good. I feel much safer. And I feel safe enough to bring up my next topic, which is it is so hard to find any kind of images to go with blog posts when you're a sex therapist, to be on the cover of your book when you're a sex therapist, because you can't use sexual images. Mm -hmm. But I'm so tired of people sticking their fingers in a grapefruit and calling it a day. (laughs) All the fruit pictures, like I get it. In some ways, it's like, okay, I get what you're saying. And it's maybe... (laughs) I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, right? Like, I'm sure it's sexy for some people. For me, fruit and food, not bleh. Mm -hmm. But, like, yeah, just everybody's... Are you talking about, like, all of the sex books having, like, some, like, a papaya or, like, something on it that's, like... Yeah, a banana next to an eggplant, and that's good. So I've had to post a couple of blog posts recently, and I've been looking through pictures and it, it it's impossible because I also don't want to just get pictures of people because any group of people you pick you're excluding other people it's right true. and so then people look at the picture and go oh this post must be about this white dude with a beard holding hands with this <laughs> you know petite I mean it, it it's it's impossible and so like for my last picture I picked like two gummy bears posed if they were hugging i was like i guess it's come to this i don't know what else to do yeah i mean i think all you can really do at this point is pick abstract (laughs) like super abstract imaging i will say though i also have a hard time with the fruit Mm -hmm. I think that at one point in time, I bet, like, if I had only read, like, one sex therapy book with it on it or, like, sex topic book, I would be like, no, that's kind of cute. Right. Look at that. Look at that mango. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that... That's right. Isn't that interesting? But you are correct that also, like, they've all been used and you can't be explicit. 
Yep. Yeah, you really you really are tied in a knot. It is. It. But I like the I think that the gummy bears is a good call. Yeah, the gummy bears saved me. But what am I gonna do next time? I can't do gummy bears every time. I think you get real weird with it. <laughs> like that's what I, I would get real weird with it and like go way off like not even remotely related. <laughs> You know? So people are just wondering, they're like, what? why is nail polish remover <laughs> needed to understand this blog post? I like, no, you know what I want? Like when I was growing up, like we, I did not grow up with uh, a lot of money and we often bought like generic, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. generic brand stuff. And do you remember like the saltine crackers that were like just a black yes. and white, like sort of box? Yes. Like just that, just plain <laughs> A plain white image with like the word or whatever word. It says sex article. Yeah. (laughs) I think sex article one. (laughs) Sex article two. (laughs) Like that. That's what I would suggest. I'll work on that. I'll work on that. What was your blog about? Um, We should like, you know, promo some. We just like sold the hell out of that podcast. So we should. (laughs) We like promo two. We promo two separate podcasts. I can't, I can't remember what my, oh, I was about a class I'm teaching. So let's promo something. Nice. Yeah. I'm teaching a class called Erotic Intelligence and Pleasure Literacy. And this is at um, New Earth Institute, which is a division of Southwestern College. It's in New Mexico, but it's all online. And it's a synchronous weekend class. And it's, um, it's going to be great for anybody it's pretty much more for therapists yeah um but it's how to work with pleasure issues professionally um how to help your clients work with these issues it's gonna be a good time good are you is it live yeah yeah so when it's synchronous that means we all log on together and we do the whole weekend i mean obviously there's breaks because it's a weekend Mm-hmm. intensive so it's quite a lot of hours but yeah you have to be there at a certain time and end at a certain time yeah, yeah. I really enjoy like so I, I teach some grad courses and sexual health yep. and like usually again with clinicians but then I also like just like you have done like a lot of like kind of public speaking or training typically more of professionals but like yep. isn't it so fun it is yeah it's super fun yeah it's my favorite thing to do teaching is like a little bit different of a thing than being a clinician I think it is it is and I love it so much and I love um all the all the people who take the classes and the students who take the classes it's so incredible to see who's out there and who's already doing this work and who's about to do this work mm-hmm. It's um it always makes me really happy and optimistic about the world afterwards. Yeah. Well, I think what I enjoy like a lot just beyond like seeing like people like really get excited about the topic is whenever you can like be like and did you know this? Like there's so many like falsehoods about sex and yes. like sexuality and like romantic behavior and relationships and like what people think is normal and what's probably actually statistically more normative or frankly we don't even know what's normal because we've done a terrible job measuring it (laughs) and so like one of my favorite things is when you watch people in a classroom go what (laughs) and it's like not often that you get to surprise people in those kind of ways but I feel like sexual health is a topic when you really start looking at research and you're like so let's look at what kind of pornography people are actually looking at all right Right. what do you think if you walked down the street and you asked this theme do you think someone would think that that's abnormal yes 
Well, do you know that that's one of the top three most popular types? Like, just stuff like that that really starts to, like, defy sort of people's understanding of, like, human sexuality. And I think really you you can't know what you don't know till you learn more. Absolutely. Right? And so one of my favorite, and it's always my favorite part of learning, so I don't know, maybe I project that onto students, right? But, like, is, like, going, oh, like, I really... I just realized how much I didn't know about this. It happens yes. to me every conference I go yes. to where I'm like, I like get really satisfied at a, I don't know about you, but when I go to a conference and I feel kind of dumb. That's the best. It's my favorite con, like those are my favorite con, like conferences and like talks or lectures yes. is when I leave going, oh, I'm dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know any of that. But maybe you could reframe that, Tara, and not call yourself dumb. It's but true. just be yeah. excited that there's... Good. So much in the world to learn. Right. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's a healthy sort of response. It's for a healthy me. dumb. It's a You're healthy. Not like really like, down on I yourself. Think, no, more of like a, like this like, really like you know like after a really good workout where you're like that hurt but in a good way (laughs) you know like sort of like an ego an ego check yes that would be a better sort of phraseology where I go I am not as fancy as I thought I was (laughs) well and the thing is you are very fancy but the world of sexuality is huge and so fast moving and none of us can know it all yeah and we don't and and there's always going to be new things that we're learning um and people who are presenting from different perspectives where i'm like whoa that's a really different lived perspective than my lived perspective and i never would have thought about that way and i'm i'm so thankful to have heard that that i can now have mm-hmm. a small window into that yeah do you remember anything like for you when you were in training that just like blew your mind yes i'm embarrassed but <laughs> we're we're sharing the embarrassing things that we didn't know right yes I, in a graduate class, said something like, well, you know, people who commit sex offenses, there's really nothing that works for them. They Mm. can't change. Mm -hmm. And my professor was like, uh, you're going to want to look at that because that's not true. And this was just in a generalist class. This was not in my sexuality training. And I remember thinking, oh, and then I remember thinking, well, where did I even hear that? Right, and I had to think about like, oh, I think I've just probably the that local, up. probably the local, the local news. news, right? Just what you hear, uh, you know, if you're like hearing about articles or whatever. And then I did go look it up, and I was like, oh, actually, for the majority of people, they don't reoffend if they go through treatment that is effective, mm-hmm. right? And that was a big humbling moment for me too, of like, wow, look at a whole group of people that I just like jumped on the bandwagon and thought this. And I was very, very thankful to have been corrected. Yeah. So. Well, and that's an area that's like, so I've done a lot of work and yeah. still do work, right, in sexual offending, which is always hard for people to sort of sometimes understand. Like, I've had a lot of professionals be like, how can you do that work? Um, because I also do work with sexual trauma, right? Mm-hmm. So, and one of the things I remind people is like, there's no better, no better way to prevent future sex crimes than to help people reduce their risk of com- like absolutely know, engaging in sexually criminal behavior or problematic right or boundary crossing behavior like that is the best yes. prevention strategy that you have is yes. to create accessible care especially care for people that might be thinking about or struggling with urges to want yes. to do that not to get too deep into that but you know 
when I did, that's actually how I started out in the field of yes. sexual health is working in sexual offending and working within like prison systems and sort of stuff like that and seeing people that have just been released. And um, it, I like I have like so many just like humiliating moments that I can think of <laughs> where I'm like, oh, like I made so many assumptions. Oh, yeah. Because we don't really that's one of the areas in sexual health that we don't people really want to shy away from and don't really talk about. And so Mm -hmm. it leaves it like ripe with misunderstanding. And for me, like part of one of the things is it also creates a lot of problems in terms of people seeking preventative care. Yes. Because it's so misunderstood. And that's not to say it's not problematic, but just because it's so misunderstood, nobody often like I've had clients that are like, well, I was struggling with this long, like urges or thoughts or struggles around my sexual behavior long before I offended. But I didn't want to talk to a therapist about it because I thought I'd get in trouble for even just talking about the thought of it. And to be fair, that is something that's happened. I was just going to say, unfortunately, a lot of therapists really aren't prepared to hear that and don't know what to do then when this comes up. So it's one of my favorite areas. Interestingly, that's one of my favorite areas to teach about because really if we want to talk about like a culture of consent and things like that, like being preventative versus reactive is typically, and this is like sort of like a public health. People right. can feel however they want to feel. This is my opinion. Right. Right. But also literally when you look at what reduces risk. Yeah. <laughs> preventative. Yeah. It's like medicine, right? Like right. it's just mental. People forget that like mental health is still like a part of health, right? So just like in medicine, like if someone's like, hey, I'm, I'm starting to get an infection versus like my arm is falling off, things are going to go better yes. with early sort of like, right, You want to catch intervention. it then. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Or, or just even preventative. Treated. Right. Or even early preventative measures, mm-hmm. right? That helps you just sort of get ahead of things. But or the pro- even the message of, hey, if you think you're getting an infection in your arm, go talk to somebody because you're yeah. going to need some help with that, right? Yeah. Like, and yeah. how to identify what is a problem and what's not a problem. Right. And we teach people that in terms of like medical help, but we really right. don't teach them in terms of like mental health. And I throw sexual health in sort of that crossover category of mental and it all connects. I don't know why yeah. we ever separated it into mental health and physical health because it's all just health and it drives me crazy. Like just I super think that's bananas. real fair. Yeah. Um, but interestingly like that was an area for me too and I didn't learn as much about it in school nobody really talked about it as much in my at least my undergrad or my um my master's program but after my master's I started working in that field so while I was getting my doctor I'm sure everyone in my doctor cohort was like oh Tara's gonna talk about that (laughs) (laughs) but but it it I remember just having so many moments but you know what's really interesting for me like I grew up without a lot of sex education and like you know I didn't have access to a lot of sex sex education earlier on in my life and then I think just as I started like learning more in the process uh, like just even like general stuff about like the body and like the way the body works and orgasm and like physical functionality there was stuff where I was like well I should have known that this is really embarrassing you know I'm so glad you're saying that because I've had those moments too and I bet everybody listening has and I think what we just all need to acknowledge is we didn't get good education And our parents didn't get good Mm -hmm. education and probably their parents did not get... I feel like like, it gets less likely the lower your... It might get even worse, right? Yes. And so... I mean, in the 1830s, they were killing it. But any, you know, there's this little no man's land right in between there. I mean, even if you got 
comprehensive sex ed, right? So like if we're talking about sex education that includes um, talking about bodies, talking about body parts and functions, um, talking about, you know, pregnancy, how to prevent pregnancy, safer sex methods, but also, you know, like um, how does sex happen? Even if you got all of that, you didn't get how does pleasure happen? Mm -hmm. You didn't get how do you navigate a relationship? You didn't get how do you why does it feel why does it feel funny and you like it? Right. (laughs) Right. What do you do when you have conflicted feelings about this? What do you do when you feel like you're not talking well with people about this? And I think that, you know, for, for you and I, especially when we were studying sex, we're going to have those moments of like, oh, God, I should have known that already. Like, I feel really embarrassed about that. But everybody has those moments. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not a you should have known that. It's a, hey, you just found a crucial piece right now. It's really good that you found that. And maybe it's going to lead you on a trail to like some other stuff that would be really helpful for you to know. Because we all need updates and additions mm-hmm to our sexual knowledge forever. I mean, I'm starting to have menopause symptoms. <sighs> I've had to do a lot of looking, even though yep. I knew some things about that, I'm like, okay, it's personal in a different way now, right? You know, <laughs> so like, I have to look up some of that. So you don't get that mm-hmm. in sex ed in seventh grade. Right. I think that that self-compassion be similar. Like one of the things I talk to people about, and it's easier said than done for sure, which is like, you can't know what you've never learned, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just like you just can't right like there is a teaching and we do what's really fascinating about sex in particular culturally is that it's one of the areas like you wouldn't ever do this in math be like you've never been taught calculus now do some right right (laughs) like we don't do this in some other and there's certain areas of learning where we do it in other areas where we don't I could go on a soliloquy about how we also do it in romantic relationships Mm. beyond just sex right like but we don't teach people a lot but we expect them to know and understand and so like you know especially like when you think about for a lot of people the sex education if they were even fortunate enough to get any was mostly about like danger in their bodies and other people's bodies but not about pleasure definitely often I mean there are more cohesive sex education programs that are going on doing a great job but they're more probably still the exception than the rule and amazing sex educators but yeah like you said and so lots of people fighting a fight on that which is wonderful and at the same time there's still a really big deficit but then we expect people to go on into romantic relationships and navigate really Really complex sexual dynamics and then they come in or you someone like you or I or maybe our special guest next time <gasps> right they expect they're, they're so down on themselves and upset because they don't know magically how to resolve this problem but really it's sort of like asking someone to solve calculus when they've only been taught like long division yes you know they've been taught some yes. but they have but there's this whole sort of complex area that no one's ever provided any education on and that piece around how do you have compassion for yourself and frankly others because usually often relational issues will bring people in to go I we don't know and we need to know and we need to learn but it's also like reasonable that we don't know but sex is an area where people really feel like they should know yes I don't know if you yes. get that same thing. Oh from my people. gosh, absolutely. Half I feel like half my job is saying like, yeah, it makes sense that you don't know that and you weren't supposed to know that and that's okay. I mean, it would have been great had someone taught you that, but you weren't supposed to just magically know that without ever having been given that information. Um, a lot of the work I do is helping people untangle 
some of the hurt and confusion that comes up when they expect themselves or their partner to just know or when mistakes happen, right? And part of it too is like, I think that there's a self-compassion piece and then other people might have an opposite problem of like being a little overly defended, right? Like protecting their ego and pride sort of around it and pretending to know things they don't. Oh, (laughs) I don't know if you've seen that. That's less, usually Mm -hmm. less Mm -hmm. common, but that's also an issue, Mm -hmm. right? Where someone's like having a hard time acknowledging to themselves that Mm -hmm. they don't know. Like I've had plenty of couples scenarios. Mm -hmm. That happens more in couples. Yeah. One party's like, well, you should know. And it's more about the other person. And they're really struggling to just even admit. Yep. I don't know what's going on here. I see that happen to cisgender men a lot. I see cisgender men uh, get this idea culturally that they're just supposed to know and that they're also supposed to be able to just like carry a sexual experience and know what to do without asking. Um, I see them get the message of like, you're also supposed to always want to be sexual all the time. Yeah, I think it's all tied into masculinity. Yeah, there's a lot of like bad masculinity stuff that happens around that. And um I just wish people knew that, you know, no, none of us are mind readers. You can't know what your partner is liking or what works for them or what doesn't. Or, you know, you have to ask. Well, and I think that that's why I say, like, one of my favorite experiences is, like, whether it's, like, around this or other areas or just, like, areas where I I leave when I, like, I'm kind of sort of using the parlance of, like, feeling dumb, right? Like, walking out and going, I don't know. But, like, I've learned to really appreciate that sensation because I've sort of, like, developed this, like, awareness of, like, oh, it means I'm getting better. Like, I'm growing. Because you can't learn anything without emotionally being open to that, like, the embarrassment of not knowing. Yes. And some people really struggle. And I, I have definitely, and there's still certain things where I struggle you, still to tolerate the embarrassment or like that humiliation for some people might be the right word. It depends how strongly, it's kind of on a right. spectrum, right? How right. strongly are you experiencing that? But like, if you, if in this, you know, it sounds a little like, it definitely sounds like the psychologist in me saying this, right? But like, I feel like even for myself, when I've found a way to like really almost be like, welcome in that feeling maybe it's because i did theater for so long and failed miserably and really <laughs> all those auditions that didn't go well yeah, i'm like, like no really? i can own this it's all right yeah i've really yeah. learned how to tolerate humiliation in a very real way <laughs> um but like it's sort of almost like i mean it like that like when you go to the gym that like welcome stretch you know that's mm. sort of like oh this is uncomfortable but it means i'm doing something better right yeah and some people really struggle to tolerate that feeling and they and there's lots of different stories as to why somebody might struggle to tolerate that but I think that like it's such a huge I watch it be such a huge barrier to like especially in couples work yes especially yes. in couples work one-on-one people are less defended often but in couples yeah. work it. I don't know, you do a lot of couples therapy too. I'm sure you've noticed people getting more in the position of like, one of us has to be wrong. Right. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think either of you has to be wrong. Yeah. Maybe it's just an experience of like both of you not knowing and we're learning together and like, how can we just let that be okay? But I've seen yeah. some people and, you know, and I do think that there are gender dynamics that can be like exacerbate that at times and like expectations mm-hmm. around like Wait. within gender and all that jazz. I agree with that. And I also have seen it happen across a wide spectrum of gender combos and couples, yes. right? And so one of the interesting things that I see come up sometimes is 
maybe there's a partner who says, no, but you are supposed to know, you know, Mm -hmm. like they tell their partner, like, no, you are supposed to know, and you are supposed to just be able to make this happen. And I think it's just a lot of times a feeling of anxiety of like, well, if you don't know, and I don't know, how are we going to do this? And it's like, well, actually, that's a great place to start from is neither one of you having to know. And so you just talk about it and you see what works and you experiment and you don't regard it as a failure. If it's like, "Eh, eh, that was so, so, you know, it's like, okay, well, good. You got good information from that. That Mm -hmm. was so, so great. One of my things in couple, like anyone like in couples therapy, you know, and it depends on the couple. Some people come in in really different spots, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, but sometimes when you've got two people coming in that are both like maybe pretty frustrated with what's going on, like one of the first things that I often will talk to some people about doing, which is like, yeah, so one of our first goals is going to be to stop taking chunks out of each other right now (laughs) and try to figure out how do you give each other the benefit of the doubt? Because right now you're both playing this like uh, sort of like there has to be a winner and a loser so you're you're really both losing at this point in time that's a great way to say and it. yep and like that idea of like how do you stop taking chunks out of each other in the process of trying to like figure this out and really what I mean is learning together yeah. like I, I often create the visual for people like right now you're sitting across from each other on two opposing benches right like looking at each other like you would on like almost like a basketball court right like yeah. you're not but I need the two of you to sit on the same bench, although basketball is a terrible thing to use because I think maybe they are all on the same side. <laughs> I don't know enough about sports. I don't know enough about basketball either. Anyway, nobody, nobody fact check me on that. That was a bad <laughs> sort of thing. But they could be a team. We yeah, know that let's, works, not, let's right? take it out of sports. Yeah. You're in a park. <laughs> you're in a park, right? And Instead you're a- of sitting at opposing benches, staring at each other across the park. Right. You're gonna- you are right on the path and someone's rollerblading in between you, right? <laughs> Um, you got to figure out how to get on the same bench, right? Like, yeah. because I don't know if this is your experience in couples therapy, but often, and this is like, I don't really like blame couples for this. Like it's in our narrative, right? Like when, when people break up, often a question people ask is sort of like, well, who's fault? Right. <laughs> right. There's an indication that there must be fault. And that is such a problematic narrative. And I don't get me wrong. Like as someone who's been in my own relationships, it is very hard not to fall into that sort of chasm. Yeah. But the more I think you can help people step back and go, what if it's nobody's fault? Like, what if this is all a big misunderstanding? Yeah. Because oftentimes it is. Like, I don't know about you, but I have sat in so many couple sessions, like, in my seat, rocking back and forth, going, if you two just saw what I saw, (laughs) you would see. I got good person A, good person B. No one's the bad person. Both of you were just maybe fed a lot of misinformation. And then there was a series of sort of, you know, bad communication events that happened and now it's just all snowballed on top of itself and that's why we are today. But it's not because anyone's like intrinsically broken or wrong around this. Well, I maybe I'm going off on a tangent here, but everything that you just said, I think, well, geez, on a wider cultural level, we could really use that attitude <laughs> yeah. too, right? Like, yeah. do we always have to have one right person and one wrong person or can we be like, well... What what points does everybody bring to the table here? And mm-hmm. what can we figure out from that, right? right? Um, but yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing I see is if people feel like they won't be heard unless they prove themselves right, 
they're going to fight to the end to prove themselves right. And if people feel like, okay, we can hear each other, even if we still disagree afterwards, I think it makes it easier to maybe get away from that who's wrong, who's right. It's like, let's let's listen to each other. You don't have to agree, but you do need to understand where they're coming from and know that like probably it's not that one of you is wrong and one of you is right. Like you said, it's yeah. good person A, good person B, coming from two <laughs> different perspectives. We need a lot more of this. Yeah, and, and you know, I want to be fair to people. Like, it feels really good to hold on to that righteous sense of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, no. Like, someone might be listening to this and go, you weren't in my last relationship. <laughs> Listen here, ladies. All right? I was the right, right one. Like, you know, and to be fair, like, there's something about that. And and I'm not saying that, like, there's definitely scenarios in which someone is absolutely behaving poorly. Yeah. Right? Like, yes. And that yes. stuff is very real. So I'm not saying, like, someone may not have an experience in which someone is now, they probably have a whole host of their own reasons for behaving poorly, sure. but that doesn't mean that someone at times is not behaving very poorly. But then there's like this whole really big category, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's actually probably, frankly, the more common category of pretty decent people doing their best. They just don't have an informa- enough information to do what maybe they're like what the other person would like to see as their best if yes. that makes sense yes and those are more of the situations where i it's really sometimes difficult to watch because and and it comes more from a place of like like i think you're both good people i wish you didn't have so much anger and like, <laughs> misunderstanding how can and you know that's part right. of our jobs right it's like help get people there but I think that it's culturally fed in a variety of ways around this idea of like who's right, who's wrong. Yeah. And I think that's across sexual orientations, the gender spectrum. Mm-hmm. I think that that's just like even like when friendships go awry. Yes. It's yeah. like well who was the bigger shit. Right, exactly. Right. And then other friends are trying to figure out who how to pick sides, which again in, in, <sighs> you know implies a winner and a loser. Right. Yeah. Now yeah. don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that like I am above any of the pettiness of all the things that I'm describing. <laughs> but, like, these are ideals, right? Like, well, let's you try to help the work position toward. that yeah. we're in, right? Like, mm. the reason that a therapist is helpful is they are an outside party. They are not going to have all of the same emotional responses mm-hmm. that you have when you are in that relationship. They or should in, not. If you right, have a therapist right. that does, you right. know, shop around. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's much, much harder when you're feeling the big feelings that come up in relationships to be like, hmm, well, okay, let me take a deep breath here and remember that neither one of us is probably trying to hurt the other. I mean, it's just harder when you're in the middle of it, which is why it's helpful to have that extra person. Yeah. I mean, part of being a therapist is like, they call it like, right, that gift of objectivity. I mean, now we could like argue that like no one's truly oh, yeah. objective That's a right whole like podcast. nobody's truly objective right. we all have our own biases and like there's still human error and bias and blah yeah. blah blah but we could probably argue that the person like the therapist for the most part unless they got that's why you're not also supposed to work on stuff that's too close to your own stuff right as a therapist yep. there's like ethics around that and when you know but that sort of like if all if you know all is kind of above water right like 
you still have probably more objectivity as a therapist than the people living it. Yes. You know, because it's more about degrees of objectivity yep. than it is about total, like, I don't know any human alive that has total objectivity. No. That's called the computer. That's it's a machine. <laughs> right. And we don't want computers making all of our relationship decisions. That would be yeah. a different kind of weird. But that is a different topic for our next maybe our next one I don't know I don't know what the guests will bring well Jeremiah and I do a tech sex tech corner where we look at some really fascinating tech we did one I don't remember the episode on like um augmented sort of reality and like you can turn like it's really there are some things about it that are ethically sort of very interesting but like how you can turn like um like have augmented reality where like let's say you have an ex and you can take a picture of your ex and then create a whole sort of ai augmented reality experience in which you never have to let go of an ex and that's like part of how they're promoting the tech yeah we won't get into it today that's a deep one that is deep but we we do we do have a whole episode on that in the university of pleasure but i think we probably have to wrap up because you and i could nerd out on these topics we got here from the grapefruit and from grapefruits (laughs) I still think my idea is is just sex topic one. (laughs) Maybe. I like it. Yeah. Or, you know, people can give us other recommendations and give you other recommendations for sexy fun that somehow is not offensive or explicit and not Will not get you kicked off of various platforms that you're trying to promote on. Yeah. If anybody has any great drawings they'd like to put out there for free that fit all those criteria... Yeah, you can actually, you can reach us at contact at universityofpleasure.com. That's great. Yeah, so, and then I can forward it to you. <laughs> Perfect. I don't know if you have the password to that yet. We'll oh, come no. up with another. I have, no, I have nothing. I have no responsibilities and no capabilities yet. I think you have capabilities, generally <laughs> speaking. Well, thank you so much, Laura. It's always so good to see you. It's been so fun shooting the shit with you. Yeah, so please join us again um, on Sex Therapist Shoot the Shit when we will have a guest for episode three. And also check us out at uh, theuniversityofpleasure.com and our University of Pleasure podcast. Have a good night. Bye-bye.